On this week's prequel episode, we follow up on our drive listener polls and preview Chocolat. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's a cozy, icy evening here in our hometown, snowed in. Hope you're all having lovely evenings or mornings or whatever, wherever you are. <laughs> uh, but very cozy here. We're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go make some dinner after this and watch the. I can't wait to watch a new episode of Last of Us. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've seen anything about it. I've seen a little bit about it. I haven't got any spoilers. I mean, I know roughly what the events are because I played the game. But everybody's saying it's like the best episode of television in years. So I'm very excited to watch that. Uh, but anyways, we've got a very full episode. We were gonna do a learning thing segment about our author this week, but we had so much feedback from everybody. Uh, that we kind of decided to skip that and just really focus on the feedback everybody had about Drive, as well as previewing Chocolat, as we mentioned. But before we get to all of that, we've got to do what we always do and recognize our patrons. I put up with you because your father and mother were our finest patrons, that's why. No new patrons this week, but we do have our Academy Award winners, and they are... Matilde is joining Shelby's quest to get TFIL merch. Steve from Arizona, Paul Kettensminger, Jeff Niederhofer, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Young's Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Says All I Want for Valentine's Day is TFIL merch, That Darn Skag, V Frank, and Alina Starkov. Thank you all very much. Uh, maybe slowly it will take over and everybody... <laughs> We'll just be pestering us for TFIL merch. Uh, We've said it before. We want to do that uh, at some point, um, but it's going to be after we hopefully get somebody to redesign our logo and stuff. um, So we have like updated everything Mm -hmm. before we launch our merch. Um, But it is a, it is a thing that we are in discussions of figuring out. So hopefully it will not be when I say not too long, it's not going to be like a month, but but we have a plan to make a plan. We have a plan to make a plan. It is a thing on the docket. So hopefully, you know, before, when I say before too long, I mean, before like, you know, a year from now, <laughs> that's kind of the time scale. Cause you know, we're going to talk to an artist and have an artist work on it. And that, that's going to take a couple months. And then that, once we get that squared away, getting the actual merch sorted is going to take its own little time, depending on if we wanted how we want to do it, blah, blah, blah. Point being, it's going to be a little bit, but it is, like Katie said, we have a plan to make a plan. So hopefully uh, we can get to that sooner than later. Katie, we have so much listener follow-up. Let's go ahead and talk about it. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Um, So we had a bunch of feedback, not like feedback from a lot of different people, but we had a lot lot of long comments, which is great. Yeah. Um, But then so that's why we're not doing learning things, as you said, because we have so many comments. And and just to mention, I I think we're going to try this going forward. Um, I am going to and we've done this. I kind of go back and forth when we do feedback is like whether or not I wait for you to read the whole comment before we start talking about it or kind of interject. Some of these comments are so long. And I think it just makes sense in general going forward. Probably going to try to start interjecting and discussing things like kind of point by point throughout comments as opposed to just letting, you know, instead of Katie just reading the whole comment and then kind of go, trying to go back and figure out what all we wanted to comment on. We're going to kind of interject section by section. So, all right. All right. So on Patreon, we had one vote for the book, one for the movie and one listener who couldn't decide a nice three way split yeah. there. Steve from Arizona 
uh, the patron who requested Drive, said, first and foremost, I will begin with the fact that I really loved this book. Second, I love the movie as well. I will give a slight edge to the book for a few reasons I will get into, but I think the movie is pretty underrated. Uh, I will have to disagree with you. I'm not sure it's what I would call it. I don't know if underrated is the term I would use. It is. uh, I I don't know if you mentioned, listened, but on the prequel episode, this was put on tons of year end best movie lists and uh, maybe like slightly forgotten. Like it's it's maybe not. Yeah, I think that might be a more accurate. Which I way guess to... you could argue, argue is maybe underrated, but uh, it, it maybe slightly. You know, it it has not maintained the sort of like acclaim that it had when it came out, but it it was pretty well regarded and highly rated when it came out. So for a movie buff like myself, the film calls back to the seventies and early eighties tough guy motif, an era defined by uncertainty and a film era where main characters had dubious hidden pasts, rarely revealed and mostly implied driver reminded me a lot of James Kahn in thief where he attempted to change his lane and go the normal path to hideous consequences. I've not seen thief. I have me either. Cannot comment on that. Brian is spot on with the Shane reference as well. Glad to hear it. It's ironic how Thief and Drive preempted similar eras in film. Khan was one of the last everyman tough guys before he was replaced by the muscle-bound, steroid-infused hero of the 80s. Driver pretty much ended the current model, as our heroes have been pretty much replaced by steroid-infused comic book action figures and mythical regular humans immune to pain, sleep, and blood loss. Anyways, our, um, I wanted to chime in here briefly because I think it was interesting. One of the things I read is that one of the reasons um, Gosling wanted to do this film was because he didn't. He wanted to do an action movie, but he didn't want it to be a typical action movie. And I think what you're saying here kind of applies that he didn't want to do like a comic book movie or yeah. like a... He wanted yeah, to be a more layered, like different. 2011, we were really just yeah, like Iron Man and starting like, to sink into the Marvel era yeah, it of wasn't, films. It wasn't as big as it was, but Avengers was 2012, right? So yeah. like it, you know, we were we were starting to ramp up, um, and he didn't want to do one of those yeah. movies. He wanted to. He do, didn't want to go get buff. He wanted to do an action movie <laughs> where he could be, you know, a different kind yeah. of action hero. Anyway, I do feel there were some other undertones within the movie such as how the upper classes step on the common man, making money through loopholes and other dubious methods of hiding money. I don't know if I get where the upper class stepping on the common man sort of comes through. I agree the other things, and I I guess, like, sort of the general milieu of, like, it's probably not the right word, but the general idea of, like, driver has to kind of work, you know, he works outside Um. the law because his, his, you know... I'm not 100% sure if Steve is referring more to the movie or the book here. I think the book maybe gets into the like, I I don't know if I would call it a commentary on class, but there definitely is more commentary on like, like the setting and like the obvious poverty of the setting in the book. Yeah, I I just it like because I I think it can be there and it's kind of good built into any movie that deals with like the mob and stuff like that. We discussed it at length in like Godfather episode and and, uh, Goodfellas and stuff like that, that a lot of times, you know, these the the mob and all those sort of things exist because of class class issues and Mm -hmm. and 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 other and other sorts of um, systemic oppression and stuff that, that is creates the. The culture where these things kind of stew and come to exist, but I felt like this movie didn't really make it a particular point. The classism didn't feel like the movie was making a point of that. 
Yeah. Like we don't see our villains are not our villains are other people within. I don't know. I just it, that wasn't something that really stuck out to me in this one. But anyways, Nino is basically new money, desperate to be a player in the upper class and willing to flash that wealth, while Bernie is the underrated old money and willing to live off the past rather than seek new avenues for the future unless he is in firm control. Nino hosting a party in his crappy pizza place, blissful and drunk, is all you need to know about him. He's painfully desperate, but he is still just an old mobster being a laundering front for the mob. Mm -hmm. Anyway, everything about the film has good rewatch value for me, and Gosling's portrayal of this violent, broken man is rather sad. Mm -hmm. Something broke him horribly, and we can only wonder about this circumstance. I really liked this little era for Gosling where he starred in this film, Only God Forgives, A Place Beyond the Pines, and ultimately Blade Runner 2049. I will. I did want to chime in, kind of going back to one point. Um, something broke him horribly, and we can only wonder about this circumstance. I actually don't get that vibe from the movie. I I think that could be the case mm -hmm. that there was some something in the past that has turned him into this person. That he's I, I get more the vibe that he's just sort of a an aimless like. It's more of a commentary on like the what is the term uh like how society doesn't have there's no great challenges for um like he's kind of this aimless um is a big thing in like the 90s and in the 2000s and still today of like young men not knowing what their purpose is oh, and like so there's nothing left to discover right kind that of kind of thing and so he he kind of fell into this like into this he, he you know he got a job as a mechanic and then that kind of transformed into because the guy that ran the mechanic shop was a stunt driver so he taught him how to drive stunt cars and he just sort of like fell into this career path that he's in and then that became this thing where he started um because he was a good driver became this thing where he started doing these other jobs on the side and that is all informed by uh, the broader culture, but I, I never got the feeling in the movie that he had some very specific, like, dark event in his past that has led him here. Maybe. Mm -hmm. I think there could be, but I didn't get a super strong vibe of that. To me, it felt more like he's like this blank slate, again, aimless protagonist who doesn't have, who is looking for purpose and reason in a world that he that is um, the movie is commenting on is, or the movie is saying is somewhat devoid of that. It's kind of nihilistic a little bit. Um, and again, I, I think you could interpret there as some being something that happened to him, but I don't know if that's necessarily the case would be. I, I would have to agree with you. I, I don't think that the movie, at least for me, gives that specifically like that kind of dark backstory thing specifically. Yeah. Um, the book definitely does. Okay. But I don't know, like, attempting to think about it objectively, I don't know that that comes across in the movie. Like I, like, I, like you said, I think it could. It could. But I don't think it necessarily does. Yeah, and it's not my, it was not, again, everybody reads things differently. That was not my reading of his character in the film, mm -hmm. was that he had this, like, yeah, some something tragic in his past or whatever that has turned him into this. Um, okay, uh, Steve went on to say, now for the book, I love it because James Salas obviously knows and understands Arizona in addition to fleshing out Driver a little more. I identified with the book version of Driver because I too was a restless, tall Guerrero that lived in a largely Latino part of Tucson. 
Salas's descriptions of the food, drink, and smells made me wish for the Old South Tucson, which is basically a square-mile city within Tucson that used to be dubbed as Little Mexico by tourists, rather than a small city battling developers that are quickly and mercilessly gentrifying the area. Mm. It's understandable that Driver became who he was because of Arizona's terrible foster system, where kids are more likely to stay in group homes than actual foster homes. Salas also captured the zeitgeist of the typical Tucson teen, for I bet there was not a teenager that has thought about leaving for California, thinking they will live on the beach or somewhere or something, only to realize they can only afford to live in dank holes like Bakersville or Victorville. Bakersfield mm -hmm. or Victorville. Because of this, I like Driver in the book more due to the knowledge of being an Arizonan and the weird mental state we live in. Most native Arizonans look at our home as a trap, but where else can we really go? Where can we fit in when Arizona is relatively devoid of uniqueness? Some people might get angry at the fact that they, they removed the Latina flavor of the book, but I wasn't too angry with that. The easy-to-eat salsa from the chain Mexican restaurants is still as good as the homemade stuff I make stuffed with serranos. Chil Chiltepin? I don't know. Chiltepin? I don't know that word and hatch chili. Besides, a group of filmmakers led by a Dane probably wouldn't have captured the essence of the culture anyway, so I always find it better to do what you know rather than insultingly portray something you have little exposure to. I mean, there is some truth to that part, I would think. That, yeah. yeah. I, I, that being said, it's a movie. He's not. There's not just one single Dane Danish guy running everything. That you, there are other people involved, and right. you could have people involved in the process who would be familiar with that culture, um, you know. There are even things called cultural advisors that you can hire on movies <laughs> and stuff. Uh, that being said, you know, since it is this kind of film is does feel like it's very much coming from the voice of uh, Refn in this case, um, it might make more sense to not kind of like try to like really dive deep into that mm -hmm. when that's not like, again, what his background is or what he knows. Yeah. Um, I feel Salas took a shot at Nicholas Wending Refn in the book Driven to illustrate his thoughts on the changes. One of the characters is helping out with two productions, one from a guy with too much money trying to make a movie about mermaids, and the other is with, quote, some pale Norwegian type who wants to show us what America's all about. It does sound <laughs> potentially sounds, like a shot. Yeah, it yeah. does sound like a little bit of a shot. Um, anyway, sorry for the long review. Thanks for choosing one of my choices and keep up the good work. Awesome. Well, thank you. I'm glad. Uh, it's, I mean, it sounds like from your comment that this book was kind of, you know, written for you to some extent, mm -hmm. <laughs> having the background of being from Arizona and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it definitely makes sense that it would uh, kind of vibe for you better than it, it did for Katie, at least in a lot of ways. But yeah, cool. I do identify with my home state feeling like a trap. Though. Yeah, I think most people do, to be <laughs> fair. I like a lot of people feel that way about each. And <laughs> yeah, I think that's, mo you know, uh, maybe not Californians. I don't I, think oh, they I feel, feel like way, I but... feel like it's more for some states. Oh, yes. than others. It is definitely more for some states. You know, the less interesting state you live in California, especially if you're privileged enough to like get to visit the cool places in California. You're like, this is pretty cool. Uh, you know, whereas that being said, the Grand Canyon is in Arizona. There's cool stuff in Arizona. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree. It's definitely something certain states you we we um <laughs> we 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 uh we we enjoy our plight of having been born and raised in certain states and we like to bitch about them. So what else are you gonna do? What else are you gonna do? 
Uh, our other comment on Patreon was from Matilda's joining Shelby's quest to get TFIL merch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matilda said, I didn't expect the choice to be so difficult or to have so many thoughts about both the book and the movie. Sorry if this is a longer contribution than usual. Not the first or the last. Um, what I liked or preferred about they the book. They did a better in the book, better. They, they followed that, yeah. format. Yeah. It's very much a quote-unquote guy's book, but it was better written than those usually are. It had sharp lines that felt like a slap in a good way, snappy economical writing that I found very effective and still evocative. Personally, I thought the nonlinear structure worked. It's a messy story, a messed up main character, messing up the chapters in the timeline fits the theme. I found the side characters quite fascinating and unique. With just a few scenes, Salas managed to make me care about Manny and the doc, and Driver's mom as a train wreck I want to dissect. Also, as a fellow cat lover, I loved Miss Dickinson, and knowing her fate was very important and appreciated. Overall, I thought the book was more original and had a richer psychology than the movie. Of course, the medium lends itself better to a character study, but still, the basis is better. Driver's motivations are more complex than just being a knight in shining armor doing things for love. I loved Standard and Driver's weird bromance. Real quick, I do want to say that I think even in the film, his motivations are more complex than just being a knight in shining armor, do, armor doing things for love. I think it's definitely, that's the main driving force. And I think probably that's what most people would get out of watching the movie. Mm-hmm. That being said, I do think a big driving force is is that ennui that he has that sort of like general aimlessness that driver I, I feels to me like he has sort of been dealing with his whole life up until this point. And yes, he falls in love with um, Irene and Benicio and wants to protect them. But also part of that sort of part and parcel of that is he has now found a purpose. Yeah. And that is why he's so committed to this um, apart from just being in love with them. And I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think it's, uh, I think that that secondary reason of finding purpose and and a, and a, and a drive <laughs> um, is is definitely there in the film, uh, although it's not as again uh, on the it's not as obvious mm-hmm. as the like oh he loves them and wants to protect them part. Um. Okay, we're still on uh, what Matilda liked about yes. the book. Uh, I loved Standard and Driver's weird bromance, an unusual and cool dynamic. It would have been fun to see on screen. Plus, we can never have enough Oscar Isaac. I won't disagree with you there. I, I, I do, like, I wish we could have seen more of that because I, I think Oscar Isaac would have killed yeah. that kind of, like, yeah. strange dynamic. Uh, absolutely. Like I said, I think he already kind of did a little. There was yeah. hints of it in the film. I think if they would have had more time, I think it would have been even better, yeah. I liked the L.A. in the book that underground and transient side of the city is not often written about. For a book about someone in the movie business, it has none of the usual glitz and glamour, and that's a clever angle. Mm-hmm. Um, what I disliked about the book, Driver is supposed to be quite young, but I didn't get that from the way he talks. Sure, he's got baggage that makes him old for his age, but that I felt Salas took it too far and didn't make it quite believable. They didn't have to fridge Irina. Come on. I, I'll agree with that. Wait, they, what? Irina dies did, in the book. Did we discuss that? No, because it's not important. It just happens, and then it's not when important. and again. how? She gets shot. It's implied that it's like a, a... It's either like... It's a gang thing, they say, and it's kind of implied that it was like a... 
like an accident, like a stray bullet type oh, of thing, okay. but like maybe not, but I don't know. Maybe you did mention that briefly, but I, I don't. I was like, that feels important that we should have talked about But that. that's the thing, though. They kill her, and then it's not important anymore. Right. When does it happen? Like, is it at the end of the story? Like, You know what? I can't even answer that question because I don't know okay. because the timeline is so mixed okay. around. All right. It's after Standard dies. Well, yes. Sometime. Okay. Um, carrying on here, what I liked or preferred in the movie. The style is obviously a high point. The lighting, editing, and the cinematography are excellent and a feast for the eye. It's gorgeous, sleek, and no surprise that influenced so many films. As an 80s music fan, I'm basically addicted to the soundtrack and could listen to it all day. I did for a while after rewatching the movie. Not the best ever, but probably my favorite movie score. I found out Cliff Martinez also did Contagion that oh. same year, so no wonder I liked that score too. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes mm -hmm. sense. I, yeah, thinking back to Contagion, I mean, we we watched it for a uh, bonus was, patron episode yeah. about a year ago, I think, or something like that. It was that. a long time Even ago. more than that, but it was like something like a year ago. Um, and yeah, I can see that from, yeah, mm -hmm. that makes sense. The casting is impeccable and everyone does stellar work. Brian Cranston stands out with a difficult character. I thought what he did with Shannon made him a great emotional mm -hmm. counterpart to Driver. He doesn't have a lot, but, you know, he's not in the movie a lot. But when mm -hmm. he is, I think he does a great job. Yeah. Of course, Ryan Gosling also does a good job. He's a natural <laughs> at the blank-faced dude thing. <laughs> but he's got that underlying charm, surprising depth at, time and, at times, and his trademark puppy dog eyes really work well here. It's like a rehearsal for his role in Blade Runner 2049. I liked his softer version of Driver, and he acted more in line with the character's age. Yeah, I, it is funny saying it's like a rehearsal for Blade Runner 2049. I, I would agree, but I also think I prefer his character in Blade. I've only seen that once when it came out. We saw it in theaters, but I feel like I preferred his character in that a little bit because he, he has a little bit. They're obviously different, but this one he has more of like this innocent puppy kind of thing mm -hmm. going on that felt and again the big uh you know puppy dog eyes thing um that while it is fine it it doesn't i don't know I, something about i i think i preferred slightly his his performance in uh it, it felt slightly more layered and interesting in 2049 to me whereas this one it feels a little more like easy i don't know mm-hmm Maybe not. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen 2049. Anyways, but they're definitely similar kind of ideas. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on to what Mattel disliked about the movie. The racing subplot was not developed enough to really matter, and it took me out of the atmosphere. I felt it an unnecessary addition, and they could have fleshed out the stunt driving side instead. Would have been meta to... to would have been meta too to focus on the filmmaking world like they did in the book. I will agree that I think it would have been interesting to see more of the stunt driving. Yeah. In the film. Yeah, I agree with Especially that. Especially with because at the end he kills Nino by like ramming the car. I think it would have been nice to see that set up like directly because mm -hmm. the the one stunt we see in the movie or in yeah the one stunt we see like at the beginning of the movie. I think he just goes off a ramp and like his car flips or whatever. Yeah. And, like, slides across the yeah. ground basically like crashes. Um, it would have been cool to see, maybe, um, to see him do a similar, like, crash, crash, like, where he slams into another car, like, in the, as a stunt in the movie to kind of, like, 
set the groundwork for that scene later where he crashes into... Yeah, that would have been cool. Could have been interesting. A little bit of, like, foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, uh, and Matilda's other comment, um, okay, Irina lives in the movie, but she has even less of a personality and is whitewashed because to the director, a Latina is not the type of woman who needs to be protected. Did he say that somewhere? I have no idea. Okay. I don't, I don't know if you're, <laughs> if you're just, sorry, Matilda, I don't know if you if you read that somewhere or if that's like you just projected like or not, you know, like conjecture or whatever, but. I did not see anything about that. It's possible that he did say that somewhere, and if so, yikes. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know if the director said that. I mean, that is definitely, um, like, I guess, a stereotype. I don't know if it's quite the right word um, that women of color do right. deal with. Yes. As being seen as, like, um, yeah, less needing, less of, needing of protection yeah. than, like, white women yes um white women which, have that fragility yes which which is also problematic in and of itself it's all problematic in different ways yes. like you know <laughs> white women needing to be protected is problematic but also then by by uh equal parts um assuming that yeah women of color are like you know are don't need or are somehow like more masculine or whatever is 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 itself problematic and weird it's just yeah it's all yeah. bad assumptions um, about gender <laughs> In fact, they removed any and all of the Hispanic mentions and tone from the book. A big, big yikes, and it makes the whole thing more basic and cliche. We kind of addressed this in Steve's comment. I will say that, again, with Refn making the film, I think that could make sense. Maybe. I, I, I could at least give a little bit of thing if, like, you're like, I don't know this culture. There's definitely an argument to be made for that. I like this story. I don't know this culture. I'm going to make a version that doesn't really dive into that. That being said, you could. You could. Higher yeah. cultural. You could, you could learn um, and you could hire people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I said, I, I think it's, yeah, it is, yeah, it's fair. Um, and finally, what Matilda liked in both, they're sort of aimless, vibes only stories. That is very true. Yeah. Those tend to be hit or miss for me, but in this case, I got absorbed and really enjoyed the ride, bad pun intended. I also teared up at the end of both, but I couldn't say exactly why. But that does mean they've affected me. Yeah. So I've been going back and forth for a couple weeks now, and I still can't decide which I prefer. I'd revisit both any day equally. Final note, maybe controversial, the curiously foot-like line did not bother me at all. I could see it. To me, it referenced something more like a claw or a bird's foot, the kind of thin hand with the veins and tendons stretching the skin. I read it and went... Oh, like Madonna's hands. No problem. <laughs> Got it. Carry on. Your reaction to it was very entertaining nonetheless. It's interesting. I would not. That's not. If I, it had said like curiously claw-like yeah, or something, maybe. I just, the curiously foot-like. foot-like, yeah. I immediately imagined like a thick yeah, hand with, with stubby like, fingers, like little stubby fingers yeah. and like no definition between like the hand and the wrist and the arm. Yeah. Just like. Yeah. yeah it doesn't. It, 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 to me, when you say foot like definitely imply f gives a different feel. Like I know what Matilda is talking about, but the I like, you know, uh, referencing something more claw or bird foot like and like. Uh, yeah. With, you know, um, veins and tendons stretching the skin and being very kind of pale or something like i get that but that's not what i right. envisioned when i envisioned I like a human foot yes yeah <laughs> yeah all right thank you matilde and everybody on patreon uh, over on twitter we had three votes for the book and nine for the movie 
Kelly Napier uh, validated all my feelings <laughs> um, and said, I did not like this book. It may be because I was listening to the audiobook, but I had a hard time following the time jumps. Uh, I could not imagine trying to follow this on an audiobook. Yeah. That I think that would definitely make it worse. Um, we're in the now, we're in the past, we're in the far past, we're back to the recent past, we're back to the now. I struggled to keep it straight. It got even more complicated for me when all of a sudden we switched POV to a different character. I also had a hard time buying into why he would want to go on a revenge spree on behalf of a guy he barely knew, his wife and his kid. I didn't see the relationship build to the point where Driver would be willing to risk everything for them. I did not like this movie. I know this book and movie came first, but it felt like they took out all the parts that made Baby Driver a great movie and Drive is what we're left with. It was too slow and too boring. I bought his connection to Irene Benicio and Standard more in the movie, but just kept asking myself the reason behind his killing spree. Is it for the girl or the kid? In both properties, he knew he wasn't going to get them in the end, so what was the point of it all? I didn't like either one, but I'm giving it to the movie because I appreciated the linear timeline and singular point of view. Also, I might cut my hair like Carrie Mulligan. There you go. Um, I, I mean, getting to your, I kept asking myself the reason behind his killing spree is it for the girl or the kid in both properties. He knew he wasn't going to get them in the end. I actually don't know if that's true in the movie, at least. I can't speak to the book. That I think there was a point in the film where if he thought he could work this all out right, Mm-hmm. That he w- could, in fact, end up with them, and they could like run away together. And maybe yeah. I'm maybe I'm wrong, and I'm mis- misremembering something. But yeah, I don't know. I think maybe. if if he had been able to hand back the money in the way he wanted to before Bernie stabs him, mm-hmm. I do think he actually might have been like, "Hey, let's run, let's get out of here together." But I also don't think that matters. To be fair, because I yeah. don't. Even if I, I think that you could argue that, but I also don't think that's relevant. Even either way, I think if he thought he could be with him or not, uh, to me it's it's simple. The reven- the killing spree is just to keep them safe. Like he has a purpose. He knows that if he does not stamp out all of these loose ends that are know about her and her vague involvement with Standard and the money and all of this, she is a loose end that they're going to need to tie up. Yeah. So if he doesn't tie up all their loose ends, she's going to be in trouble. And it's he just wants to protect her at all costs because he now this weird, aimless, driftless dude finally has something he cares about and he wants to protect it. It's pretty. No. Much yeah. That yeah. I, I mean, like, I, I yeah, I agree. Um, the the other thing. And this was a big part of what I disliked about the book. And now, like, having read Kelly's comment, I'm like, I don't know if I got confused or if Kelly was confused or if we're just both confused. Because I didn't think that his killing spree with the mobsters at the end of the book had anything to do with Irina and Benicio, which was part of the reason I was so mad at the end. Not the kid, I guess, but she would have been dead at that point, right? She's dead at that point. And unless that happened way later in the timeline than I thought it did, um, I don't know. Yeah. And then the the kid just like goes to live with um like his grandparents in yeah. Mexico, I think. Yeah. And they like lose contact. Mm. And I didn't think it had anything to do with. And I don't know which of us is more confused at this moment. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we're equally confused. Yeah. 
I will say, like, um, if uh, the other thing, it felt like they took out all the parts that made Baby Driver a great movie, and Drive is what we're left with. I that, I would disagree with that only in the sense I prefer Baby Driver. Like, if you're gonna ask me which one I would rather watch again, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Baby Driver every time. Uh, the Kevin Spacey of it all, notwithstanding, but um, <laughs> the they're just very different movies. Like, I, I think trying to be like, well, it's it, they take everything that Drive takes everything that Baby Driver does great and kind of removes it. I. And they're just doing very different things. If you prefer what Baby Driver is doing more, I get it. Like, it's a lot more fun. Yeah. Uh, and it's doing some similar things, obviously, like the whole love interest. And in like, it's definitely doing some similar things, but they're also kind of very different. Uh, Drive is a, a deeply like <laughs> Scandinavian or European, like nihilistic noir film. And, uh, kind of weird, like crime Western thing. And Baby Driver is like a fun action comedy uh, music video. Like, I, they're just not remote. Like, uh, again, apart from some of the elements being the same, I think comparing them is just a little bit difficult. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, I think that Drive does loses all the things that make Baby Driver good. It definitely loses a lot of things that make Baby Driver fun. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. <laughs> and so, yeah. But again, and some people, for them, what is a more fun movie is a better movie for yeah. some people. It's totally fair, whatever. Um, it is interesting to hear the, those kind of perspectives, the way different, the different way that people view movies and like how they kind of like, quote unquote, grade movies is always really, always really fascinating to me. Our next comment on Twitter was from Paige, who said, I was definitely one of those film students in my early 20s who absolutely adored this movie. Yes. <laughs> Reading the book was kind of a wild experience for me. I was shocked that such a sloppy, amateurish book could be adapted into what I remembered to be a well-crafted and impactful film. By the time I finished the book, I thought maybe I was totally misremembering the film. It had been about a long time since I'd seen it last, but while I didn't find the film to be as impactful in this rewatch, I still think it's a very well put together and enjoyable movie. The character of Driver came off as far more unsettling to me this rewatch, whereas before I saw him as a man forced to do violence in order to protect the people he cares about, now I see him as someone who is a little too willing to commit extremely violent acts. To me, it felt like Driver's social awkwardness, while partly genuine, was something he used to mask the fact that he's a dangerous and violent person. Or at least, that he has the capacity to be. Maybe the reason he only drives is because he knows he couldn't help from going overboard if he would carried a gun and stuck people up. There's not really much textually to support that. It's just a feeling I got this watch. I think that last point in particular is really interesting and really, really like... Um a really uh, compelling reading of mm -hmm. his character. The fact that like how he talks about how he mentioned several times in the movie that he doesn't carry a gun. He only drives blah, blah, blah. But then when we see him later um, in the second half of the movie forced quote unquote to, and cause I, and I think Paige is saying the same thing. He is kind of forced into this to some extent because he does kind of have to do something if he yeah. wants to protect. But, yeah. Mulligan's he's kind character. of backed into a corner, he's backed into a corner. He, if he doesn't do anything, Carrie Mulligan's fuck yeah. is dead. Like there's not much he can yeah, do. Yeah, they're all dead. Yeah, they're all dead. So he has to do something. But I do think you're you're correct in this assessment that maybe it's a little e too easy for him um mm -hmm. to kind of drift over into becoming this this uh violent, you know, 
uh, <laughs> avenging uh, sociopath. Um, and I agree that I think there is something that deep down maybe he did recognize this. And it could be part of his mysterious backstory that we know nothing about. You know, maybe he killed somebody when he was, you know, in a bar fight or something. And since then, he's never picked up a weapon or who knows? Because, again, because we that don't get the backstory. Be, that would be a very Western-esque yeah, backstory yeah, for absolutely. Him. And this movie honestly is kind of a Western. Um, again, hearkening back to Shane and stuff like that. Um, or a lot of the things it's doing are obviously it's not a Western, but like mm -hmm. a lot of the, the thematic things that are going on, the types of characters that we have and the sort of um, motivations for the characters and all that is very similar to a lot of Westerns. Um, and I do think that it is very uh, an astute sort of um, thing to recognize that I think he is, he realizes that he is, more of the monster than he wants to admit to himself. And that mm -hmm. sort of, he does put on a mask and then thus that's why he literally puts on a mask at the end to go be that monster because he, 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 he still can't even admit to himself that he is that person or doesn't want to be that person yeah. or whatever. Trying to separate himself yeah. from it yeah. with one more layer. Yep. Our last comment on Twitter was from Shelby's in her capybara era. What an era. <laughs> Um, aside from some nice visuals, this movie didn't do anything for me. I didn't know why we were following these characters. We could have switched to following background characters at any point, and I wouldn't have missed them. The book was hard to follow at times, but as a character piece about one guy's life, I thought it was fine. Maybe it's because I saw the book classified as noir, and I expect noir to hide things from its audience. He didn't annoy me any more than his movie counterpart, and I was at least interested in what would happen next. Plus, he respects the cat. Also, real human Breen and a real hero has been stuck in my head for days. Yes. Thanks, movie. Several people mentioned that in uh, somebody's video, I don't know who, who's talking about Neil Breen, they used that song in reference to a real human Breen mm -hmm. and a real hero. So, there you go. Um... Interesting. I mean, not much you could say if you didn't find the characters interesting. I think they're yeah. at least somewhat interesting. They're not my favorite characters in anything by any stretch. Like, I, 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 I don't disagree that they're not like the yeah, they, world's they most would compelling. Not, they characters. wouldn't make any short lists for no. me. <laughs> but that being said, I think what they are works for the movie, which is that the movie is about vaguely. They're just supposed to be kind of interesting, vaguely realistic people. Like they're very grounded, realistic characters. They're not, they don't mm -hmm. have any, none of them have any particularly, other than like maybe some of the monsters or whatever, have any particularly like big characteristics about like they're not, they're just people living their lives and then this fucked up stuff happens. Um, and I think that's interesting in its own way, but I, I get what you're saying to some extent. Uh, over on Instagram, we didn't have any comments, but we had three votes for the book and two for the movie. Interesting. Book one on that one, huh? Um, there is, there's one person who votes on Instagram that I sometimes suspect just chooses whatever the opposite of what, what I think. choose oh. is. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Maybe. Could be. Perhaps not. Yeah, who knows? Uh, but we did have uh, some feedback over on Goodreads, where, where he had zero votes for the book and one for the movie. Um, and we had a comment from Miko, mm -hmm. um, who rode to my rescue to explain some things about the book. Fantastic. <laughs> um, uh, Miko said, two corrections. The robbery in the movie is an amalgamation of three from the book. 
a pawn shop robbery with some nameless goons, a check our cash robbery that gets standard killed, and the robbery with Blanche and the money bag. The last one is never specified to happen at a pawn shop. In fact, it's never specified to happen anywhere. The target is in a, quote, rich community north of Phoenix and opens at nine with a line outside and there's a security guard present. But what the target actually is, is never once mentioned and it's driving me nuts. Secondly, in the book, Driver does not drop the money alongside the cat to his former foster parents. He leaves a bag of money, but not the the bag of money. He can't because he already returned the stolen quarter million to Nino. We just Mm. never saw it. Bernie even comments on this. You got your money back. Be content. But Nino still goes after Driver out of principle. The money Driver leaves with the cat must be his own. His fattening gym bag is mentioned once during his getaway gigs. Or Salas himself managed to lose track of the money with his timeline fuckery. I totally totally understand how these escaped your notice. All the details get lost in the chapter shuffle. The nonlinear structure did not cause me that much trouble, but I still found it annoying. There really is no reason for it. I can only suspect that it was used because otherwise it would be blatantly obvious that everyone Driver meets dies within three chapters. Oh, wow. That's barely an exaggeration. Irina appears in only two chapters before dying, Shannon 2, Blanche 2, Standard 3, Cook 3, Nino 4, Doc 4, and Bernie Rose 4. Hmm. Interesting. The movie picks out some interesting parts from the book and runs with them. It's a simple story and it's presented with style. The film was nominated for an Oscar for sound editing, but I found myself adjusting the volume constantly. But being annoyed by that dynamic range is probably my only real critique of the film. It's missing that special something to be truly great, but it's still pretty good. I will say the the sound, the dynamic range thing. I actually started watching a video from Vox the other day, and then I stopped because I wanted to watch it with you because I thought it was real interesting. That was specifically covering this. That was like uh-huh. a, a video about why do you, why why do you always have to adjust the volume on on movies and TV shows these days, and like why does everybody have to turn on subtitles for everything? And it has to do with with dynamic range and 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 home theater systems and all this sort of complicated stuff. Um, I will say that the Oscar for sound editing is not based on what it sounds like playing on your home TV. <laughs> the sound editor, the the sound editing Oscar is for what it sounds like playing on like a Dolby 7.1 like mm-hmm. theater audio system, uh, in which case it, I, I would imagine would be a little bit better. I, I, I don't disagree that there are moments where I felt like, you, you, which I have this big problem with lots of things on streaming services where, where sound effects and music is so loud and then dialogue yeah. is so quiet. Um, and it's just, a big part of that is our home audio systems are not set up to handle the way audio is mixed for theater and stuff like that. So it's, it, it's, it, again, it's a complicated issue. Um, but I will say I, the sound editing in particular in the opening chase scene, I thought was so good that I, I remember thinking while we were watching it, that rewatching it or watching it for the episode during that first chase scene, I was like, okay, I see why this was nominated for a sound editing. Mm-hmm. Um, Oscar, because just the the way they balance the sounds of the car versus the radio versus the world versus the 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 police scanner versus the people in the back of the car, just all of it, the way it all fits together, was so satisfying. I loved the sound in that opening scene. Again, disregarding the fact that it's a little annoying to adjust it constantly because home audio systems aren't built for it, but I get it. Anyways, 
Um, so Miko concluded an easy win for the movie. Uh, and then went on to say uh, a ranty tangent about the Finnish translation. Oh. I thought this was interesting. In the book, there's a chase that ends with Driver doing a 180 and crashing into the pursuing car. I found it odd that he said to have stood on the gas for a minute or two after the 180 because there's clearly no time. So I checked the English version, and it's a clear mistake by the translator. Oh. Driver is actually unconscious for a minute or two after the crash. Mistakes happen, and I wouldn't have thought much of it, but when I was scouring the book trying to find where the main robbery happens, I noticed more inconsistencies. Huh. Beer cans turn into bottles. A barge is suddenly a bark. A multi-masted ship. Hmm. There's even an example of the translator translating back as again, um, even oh. though it was referring to the back legs of the cat. Oh, First the cat's yeah. front legs, then the back First the cat's front legs, then again, I guess. I cannot even parse the meaning of the resulting sentence. Yeah. It's an impressive mess because it's subtle enough to fly under the radar until you compare the books, but I found these examples and many more pretty easily. I get that Wonder One translation isn't possible, but this messes even with the characterization at points. When Driver learns his mother has passed away, his voice gets slightly higher, a sliver of emotion from him. But in the translation, it's the doctor he's talking with whose voice changes. <laughs> There's no explanation. It's just translated wrong. Now I'm questioning the quality That's of so every funny. translation I've ever well, read. And you should. Translations are very difficult. Yeah, translation uh, is hard. It's hard, and it's not. I think it's more common than you would think that stuff like that yeah, happens. I'm, I'm I bet sure. that happens all the time in tons of stuff. And, um, and yeah, like a one to one translation is isn't possible no, because not. of the way that language totally, works. Yeah, yeah. But some of this stuff sounds like it does that sound like, like somebody some somebody should have caught somebody that made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. There's stuff in there that that's not like this is like a rough, hard to translate thing. That's just like you, you made yeah. a mistake. <laughs> like somebody just messed up. <laughs> yeah. All right. What was our final breakdown? Our winner this week was the movie with 13 votes to the book seven, plus our one listener who couldn't decide. All right. Fantastic. As we mentioned, we don't have a learning thing segment. We were just going to learn about Joanne Harris, but we're going to learn a little bit more about her when we discuss her book, Chocolat. There once was a town that believed in tranquility at any cost. If you saw something you weren't supposed to see, you looked the other way. Then one day, a sly wind blew in from the north, and with it, strangers. These people are not welcome. I had she's an atheist. What's that? Don't know. Opening a chocolatery just in time for Lent. Shameless, isn't it? Would you like to come in for some chocolate? What about boycott immorality then? Uh, so Chocolat is a 1999 novel by English-French author Joanne Harris that falls under the genres of magical realism, fantasy, and romance. Interesting. I did find, <laughs> I did when I was looking into this, that Joanne Harris got into a little bit of Twitter beef with Rowling. Oh, last summer. the lesser Joanne? Yeah, the, the lesser Joanne. Um it wasn't like a major thing and it, it was kind of, it was a little bit of a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, it, 
Joanne Harris does have a transgender son, mm. um, so obviously there's some uh, yeah, not not a some, fan. Of yeah, some bad blood Joe's there. Current um, <laughs> opinions on anything really. Yeah, it, it, like I said, it was kind of a mixed bag because Harris ultimately ended up kind of falling into the trap of being like, well, of course I support free speech. Kind of both sides in, like a, a, little, a bit. little bit. Yeah, I, you know, I think. When, like, people started to, like, come at her, maybe she didn't quite know how to handle it, which, fair enough, because I don't think I would either, but... You mean, when you say people came at her, who who came at who about Oh, what? like, like, the gender-critical people. Oh, came like, at Joanne Harris. Yes. About her criticizing About J. her... Rowling. She wasn't, like, necessarily criticizing Rowling, but she put up... She put up like a Twitter poll, from what I understand, um, that seemed to throw some shade ah. at Rowling. Okay. And then Rowling got mad about it. And, and then all of, of the course. people who support Rowling right. went after Harris yeah. um, and started and calling then, so for Harris her. Probably yeah. was like, ah. Right. So, they, yeah. to, like, so then she kind of like, tried without, to put yeah. the fire out. In probably not the best way. Maybe, maybe yeah. not the best way, but. Um, Still the superior Joanne. Still, I, it would hard <laughs> to be an inferior Joanne currently. <laughs> um, so anyway, back to Shakala. Uh, Harris has indicated that several of the characters. Did you see were... the tweet? I'm sorry. Did you see the tweet that <laughs> J.K. Rowling did? Which one? All the worst. She's just fucking the worst. But it, it's mind blowing. But it's it, it, the the one from like today or yesterday. She tweeted like the one about the box where she keeps her missing fucks no, because that was incomprehensible. No, I didn't see that one. I saw one where she literally. It, it was like I thought it was satire. I thought it was a satire account. <laughs> she posted a picture like an old timey picture of like oh the, 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 the suffragette, of the suffragette yes. and then like a fucking four chan meme of like. Not a 4chan meme, but like a Tumblr meme of like a cat girl being like, I'm going to shoot turfs or whatever, I, whatever the fuck it was. And I was like, is this you real? Oh, my God. She's just she's unhinged. Uh, just she's a cartoon villain. At yeah, this she point. has become the cartoon villain that. Yeah, it's insane. Um. Anyway, <laughs> shock a lot. Um, <sighs> Uh, so Harris has indicated that some of the characters in the book were inspired by or influenced by uh, people she knows in real life. Uh, her daughter forms the basis for the character Anouk, um, including Anouk's imaginary friend, um, who I believe there is a difference between the book and the movie, so I won't spoil that. Um, Harris's great-grandmother also influenced her portrayer, portrayal of both uh, the main character, Vianne, and another character named Armand. Mm -hmm. Uh, the name of Lanskep... Oh, I feel like I know in my brain how Lanskenet. to pronounce this. Um, Soutan. The name of Lansket Soutan, uh, the fictional town in which the book is set, is um, ambiguous. Uh, the word Lansket... Lanskenet? Lanskenet, maybe. Probably Lanskenet, um, right? Lanskenet. Refers to an old card game. Um, soutin or under the ta is also phonetically identical to the French word soutin, um, a priest cassock. What's a cassock? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> were you just hoping I wasn't going to ask? I was just hoping you weren't going to ask. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't um, know what a cassock is. It's the shirt. The, okay. the, it's his clothes. Oh, it's like the robe. Clerical clothing coat. Yeah, it's like the yeah. famous like black like 
robe that you see yeah. priests in or whatever. Yeah, okay. Um. So the then it's thought that the the name of the town is a reference to the traditionalist Catholic nature of the community as it's depicted in the book. I will say, just going back, I didn't realize that this novel was so recent. It came out yeah. like a year before the movie came out. Yeah, like, I didn't... it got, got optioned like probably before it was even published. I couldn't tell you because I couldn't optioned. find any notes about that. So. I mean, for a movie to be made that quickly, yeah, it probably it got optioned while like, she was still yeah, working on yeah, it. It's interesting. Uh, the novel won the Creative Freedom Award and the Whitaker Golden Platinum Awards after it was published. It was also shortlisted for the Whitbread Prize and the Scripter Award. Hmm. A fantasy writer, Charles DeLynn, praised the novel, saying Harris's prose is an absolute delight and compared it to Like Water for Chocolate, which is, if you've read either both of these, is a very obvious comparison, not just because of the word chocolate. I'll say, I don't know what that one is. <laughs> um, like Water for Chocolate is a very famous, um, like, seminal work in the genre of magical realism, oh. which I would also like to cover that at some point. I don't know if the movie is particularly well-known, um, but the book is... You're going to find it on a lot of, like, feminist or, like, women's writing hmm. courses on the reading list. Interesting. It's a 1992 film. Yeah. Um, Harris did follow Chocolat with two sequels, The Lollipop Shoes in 2007 and Peaches for Monsieur Le Curé in 2012. There you go. All right. Let's learn now a little bit more about the film Chocolat. Out for your husband. To awaken the passion. You've obviously never met my husband. You've obviously never tried these. You have more of those bean thingies, please. How many do you want? How many have you got? And these strangers show the town how to once again love, <laughs> laugh, and truly live. Academy Award winner Juliette Binoche. Academy Award winner Judy Dench. Alfred Molina. Academy nominee Lena Olin. And Johnny Depp. In the delicious comedy that feels as good as it tastes. Chocolat. Chocolat is a 2000 film directed by Lasse Hallstrom. Lasse Hallstrom. I didn't look up how to pronounce his name. He is Swedish. No. Where's Abba from? Sweden, right? I think so. He's from wherever ABBA is from, and I'll explain why right now. Uh, he's known for <laughs> What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Dear John, A Dog's Purpose, and directing a ton of ABBA music videos in the 80s. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I assume he's from the same country ABBA is. I don't know for sure, but I would, that's Sweden, right? I'm losing my mind. It's got to <laughs> be, right? It's ABBA. ABBA is from Sweden. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, I think he's Swedish. <laughs> Uh, and the screenplay was adapted by Robert Nelson Jacobs, who is most known for Dinosaur, Out to Sea, and The Water Horse. But he's really most known for this film. Like, it, it, is it Dinosaur as in the 2000, the, the 2000 computer animated yes. Disney movie yes. that nobody remembers? And nobody remembers it. Yes. Excellent. Uh, and then The Water Horse, which is a similarly uh, unremembered uh, film yeah. from, I think it might be Disney. I don't, or, or Pixar. I don't know. It's some... It came out in like 2013 or something, and nobody remembers or cares about it. Uh, this is the only film of his that, that I saw that was like pretty well known. Again, dinosaur people have heard of, but nobody cares. 
The film stars Juliette Binoche, Judy Dench, Alfred Molina, Lena Olin, Johnny Depp, Carrie Ann Moss, Peter Stormare, John Wood, and Leslie Caron. It has a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 64% on Metacritic, and a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. It made $152 million against a budget of $25 million and was nominated for five Oscars, including for Best Picture, Best Actress in a Leading Role for Juliette Binoche, Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Judy Dench, which she actually won the SAG Award for for this film, uh, and Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Music Original Score. Uh, apparently, it is the only Best Oscar uh Best Picture Oscar nominee that year that didn't win any Academy hmm. Awards. So it didn't win any of these awards. It was only nominated. Uh, so I, like I said, kind of mentioned a minute ago, I could not find much in the way of official production history. I'm sure it's out there, but I, I could not. I did some digging. I, there was nothing on Wikipedia, like literally nothing. And I did some extra digging trying to get around and find some stuff. And I was not finding much that was very useful. So we're going to dig right into the IMDb trivia and not go through much in the way of like production notes. Uh, so, getting into the IMDb stuff. Although Johnny Depp lived in France at the time of filming, he does not appear on uh, he does not appear in any of the scenes that were actually shot in France. All of his scenes were filmed on set and on location in England. Uh, same for Judy Dench, whose uh, all of her scenes were filmed in England. Uh, and in the DVD commentary, they note that for Judy Dench, at least, it was because her husband was very ill at the time and she mm-hmm. really wanted to stay close to home. Uh, no explanation for why Johnny Depp stuff was all filmed <laughs> in England. Uh, Juliette Binoche actually went to a chocolate shop in Paris to learn how to make chocolates for the film. Uh, and some of the chocolates that she made that she made while learning were actually used in the festival scene. I don't know. Again, I have not seen this movie. I know nothing about it. So some of these notes don't mean anything <laughs> to me. Apparently at the end of the film, the camera does a zoom out, like a, a big move out of the village uh, during the credits. And there's a specific moment where you can see a man walk through the lower half of the square. And uh, the director specifically incorporated that person in there because he wanted to be able to prove that this was an actual shot of the village and not a miniature. Hmm. Again, not having seen this, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) But that was a note I found. Uh, Also, according to the DVD commentary, Johnny Depp doesn't like the taste of good chocolate. He prefers cheap Easter bunny type chocolate. I, why does that not surprise, surprise me? me? Actually, it kind of surprises me. He seems like the kind of guy who would be like a weird snob about, I don't know. I, I could see like either he, way. But. No, I feel like he's a weird snob about other things, but the chocolate thing doesn't surprise has a shit me. palette for chocolate. I guess it could be. It's possible. I have an everything palette for chocolate. Same. I don't care what kind it is. <laughs> unless it, it's like 95% cacao mouth. or whatever. As long as it's not like the darkest of dark chocolates, I'm I'm into it. But I like dark chocolate. Is it like that super dark is, is a little yeah. too a little too much. I don't like the super super cheap That's, stuff either where you can taste like the oh, grainy sugar. Yeah, or, yeah. Not I, a fan of that. But anything in the middle of anything those two in between. extremes. Yeah. Uh, so the French town of Flavendier sur Ozeren, Ozeren, uh, where most of the movie was filmed except for scenes on the water, does not have a chocolatier. However, it is the home of Labbé de Flavigné, uh, which is an abbey that makes anise and other flavored candies that are sold worldwide in little tins decorated with flowers and copies of old engravings. 
Uh, but unfortunately, according to IMDb, that factory does not allow visitors. <laughs> I feel like the person who wrote, who wrote that fun was fact like, was mad about yeah, it. Yeah, right? <laughs> they went to visit this town because <laughs> they love this movie, realized there wasn't a chocolatier, found this other candy shop, and were like, ooh, I want to visit that. At least I'll be, get to visit some candy shop in this town for my favorite movie. And then they got there, and they're like, nah, you can't come in. And they're like, I'm writing a thing on IMDb about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow turned down the role of uh, Caroline Claremont. Uh, which ends up being played by um hold on, I'll go back and find it. Where's my casting notes? Uh Carrie Ann Moss. Mm-hmm. Carrie Ann Moss's character. Which I assume is maybe just an American in the film or something. I don't know. Uh and then my last note before we get to the reviews was my favorite IMDb trivia fact ever. The movie's title is French for chocolate. Really? <laughs> is it? I never would have Thank you, IMDb trivia. That. I had wow. no idea. I learned French today. Yeah. Uh, and finally, getting to some reviews for the film, uh, Chicago Tribune critic Michael Wilmington called Chocolat, quote, a delightful confection, a cream-filled and slightly nutty bonbon of a tantalizing, delectable, and randy movie of melting eroticism and toothsome humor. Uh, that's, that's interesting. I don't know if I would call this movie either randy or erotic. Well, he disagrees. <laughs> And uh, this guy seems really into food, so maybe that's why. I don't know. Uh, He also said, quote, The film is a feast of fine actors, and every one of them is a joy to watch. Uh, Peter Travers from Rolling Stone declared the film, quote, A sinfully scrumptious bonbon. Chocolat may be slight, but don't discount Halstrom's artful finesse. Except for some indigestible whimsy, Chocolat is yummy, end quote. Everybody had to go the just, freaking obnoxious food. All with the candy allegory. puns. Yeah, puns and stuff, of course. New York Times critic Elvis Mitchell found the film, quote, extraordinarily well cast and said, this crowd pleaser is the feature film version of Milk Chocolate, an art house movie for people who don't like art house movies, end quote. Bit of a backhanded compliment there. Uh, but, you know. Fair enough. I Maybe not. It depends. I, I could see that being a backhanded compliment. Doesn't necessarily mean it is. Uh, uh, Dennis Lynn, uh, uh, in a more um, negative review, Dennis Lim from The Village Voice criticized the film by saying, quote, it's condescending, it's condescending self-congratulatory attack on provincial sanct- sanctimony. Sorry. <laughs> redo that dennis Lim from the village voice criticized the film for its quote condescending self-congratulatory attack on provincial sanctimony end quote he called chocolat quote an airy pseudo folkloric gibberish at best dennis Lim, end quote are you from a small catholic town because you i feel like you have felt personally attacked it's interesting this movie i don't know much about the village voice I looked it up to see what it was, and it seems like it's kind of like an alternative, like, hipstery, like, publication. I could be wrong about this. If you know what The Village Voice is, I've heard of it before. To me, it kind of sounds... So, you remember the TV show Shrill? Yeah. Remember the magazine she works at? Yeah. That's the vibe I got of what The Village Voice is. Hmm. I don't know if that's the case, but it wouldn't surprise me then if this is some weird, like, almost, like, anti... anti... uh like i'm i don't know it 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 almost felt like this like incredibly this review comes across to me as like almost a weird um reaction to a movie that is critical of 
I don't know what the movie's about, so this is hard for mm-hmm. me to assess this. But it almost feels to me like an art snob finding a way to like criticize a movie that they found to be um, too <sighs> proud of itself for the criticisms it was making potentially. Yeah, is yeah. kind of the vibe I get here. Um, it seems like you would get a similar review from like some pretentious lefties about like Glass Onion. I feel like there's probably reviews out there that like think they're much smarter than Glass Onion is, mm-hmm. which again, I whatever you think of Glass Onion, I, I, I just I can I can imagine the person. And again, I haven't even seen this movie, so I may come 100 percent agree with this criticism. I have no idea. Um, but I, when I, I read I this review, I don't think I will either. <laughs> when I read this review, I was like, I feel like I hate this person. I feel like I know who this person is and the kind of political, like media takes they have. And I feel like I, they're one of my least favorite type of people. They're like the anti chud. Mm-hmm. They're like, they like wrap around. They're like, they, 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 they're, I don't even, I'm, I'm, I'm never mind. It doesn't matter. It's, I don't know. I'd be really interested to see other things that Dennis Lim has written, uh, and what, I'll just be interested to see what I think when I watch this movie, I guess. But um, something about that review, just I was like, ooh, I don't know. It gives me weird vibes. Anyways, uh, finally, Roger Ebert, writing for the Chicago Sun-Times, gave the film three out of four stars, saying, quote, The film was charming and whimsical, and Binoche reigns as a serene and wise goddess, end quote. (laughs) So there you go. Um, A fun fact about this movie, for me personally that you don't know the the main title from the score like the first minute and a half or so on it was on my short list for walking down the wedding aisle oh and it did not make the short short list because i never mentioned it to you yeah but interesting uh yeah i'll have to see i'm interested to hear now yeah i have not seen it so uh as always you can do us a giant favor by heading over to patreon.com support us there go follow us on social media you know it all it's the prequel episode we already talked about all this stuff katie where can people watch chocola well you can check with your local library or a local video rental store if you still have one Otherwise, you can stream this with a subscription to Paramount Plus. Um, if you have Paramount Plus through Amazon Prime or Roku, you can also get it that way. Uh, you could stream it on Pluto TV with ads as well. Or you can rent it for around 3 to $4 from Amazon, YouTube, Redbox, AMC Theaters on Demand, Apple TV, Vudu, or DirecTV. Um, and I also want to offer a warning. If you are going to watch this movie, to please make sure you have chocolate in the house. Yes, you have made that clear that we must have chocolate. Now, like if you like hate chocolate, then you probably don't need it. Then you probably don't need it. But if you if you enjoy chocolate even a little bit (laughs) and you watch this movie and you don't have any, you're going to be mad about it. I promise you're going to be upset. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll take your word for it. I, I, it, I, it doesn't surprise me based on what the movie's called, but <laughs> I will, we'll find out when we see it. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing this again because I have. I, it's one of those movies that I've just never got around to watching, but I think it will be uh, quite interesting um, to check out. Uh, very much looking forward to watching it and uh, eating some chocolate while we do so. Come back in one week's time. We're talking about chocolate. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Watching movies. And, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.